This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We want to hear from you. Please take our 10-minute survey and tell us what you think about our 48 Hours podcast. Visit cbsnews.com slash podcast dash survey. No spaces and all lowercase to take the survey. Again, that's cbsnews.com slash podcast-survey. We appreciate your feedback and love your support. There was only one person who, who wanted to harm David, and at that point it was David. He was acting with his physicians suicidal. It's the only explanation. Ranella Lee is guilty of the first-degree premeditated homicide of David Lee. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and this is Married to Death. We return to the case of Raynella Lee, the Tennessee widow accused of murdering her second husband. Did she really shoot him, or did he shoot himself? It's not a clear-cut case, as you're about to hear in Part 5. We return to the courtroom, where Raynella Lee is on trial. Understand the presumption of innocence. Understand about proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Is that correct? Tuesday, May 9th, 2017. Day 7 of the murder trial for Raynella Lee. One week after it began, Judge Paul Summers tells the jury the case is coming to a close. But I expect this case to be concluded so far as proof is concerned today. But before final arguments begin... Mr. Hedrick, you may proceed. Ms. LeGrand. The defense wants to leave a lasting impression on the jury. This is the mattress and box spring, headboard, footboard, so am I right? Yes. What I should point out is... That's defense forensic expert Celia Hartnett. She has brought the crime scene to the courtroom, including... 
the actual bed where David Leith was found shot to death. Defense attorney Josh Hedrick. If the record could reflect, I'm pointing to the hole in the middle of the headboard. So reflected. The only hole in the headboard. Um, were you able to identify this hole in the headboard as a bullet hole? Yes. It's a jarring sight. Right below the judge, a light brown wooden bed frame is set up, along with matching nightstands on either side, each holding green lamps with white shades, just as they did 14 years ago. The mattress is hidden under a light blue sheet, still stained with David Lee's blood. It looks like a stage scene of a macabre play all right there in the center of the courtroom. What's that? It's a wooden dowel. Thank you, ma'am. Two wooden dowels, they look like sticks, indicate the trajectory of bullets that went into the mattress and David Lee's headboard. Ma'am, I'm going to demonstrate for you some positions. Attorney Hedrick has to convince the jury that David Lee could have fired all three shots, so he takes a gamble. He actually climbs onto the bed with a Colt 38 revolver in hand. If I were to lie in bed and I were to aim at my head and pull the trigger and miss high and create this, am I okay so far? Yes. He touches the dowel poking out from the hole in the headboard. And then, frustrated that I've missed, sat up and pull the trigger. It would enter my head here. Am I right? Yes. Then he refers to the third and final shot, the one prosecutors claim David Leith could not have fired. And then if I fell, and my hand squeezed again, it would be consistent with this direction. Am I right? Uh, Not just with the direction, but also with the distance. Defense attorney, Rebecca Legrand. We're not saying we know exactly what happened. We're just saying we know there are multiple ways that all of this makes sense that don't have anything to do with a homicide. There was only one person who who wanted to harm David, and at that point it was David. He was acting with his physicians, suicidal. You know, one of the takeaways, I think, that they were trying to keep with the the jurors. Here's my producer, Josh Gaynor. You can't necessarily put yourself inside the mind of somebody who's committing suicide because you can't put reason behind the unreasonable. And the other thing is, if they're going to go to that point and take their own life, it's not always going to play out the same way. Just if something is done unusually, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Wednesday, May 10th, the eighth and the final day of trial. Everybody ready? to get started with the uh, final arguments. Both sides making their final case. David Lee's bed is still set up, looming in the background. May it please the court. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, good morning. For the defense, it's Josh Hedrick. David Lee was a proud man. He was a proud man who knew he wasn't going to be able to do the things that he used to be able to do. Then he does something out of the ordinary. Hedrick sits again on the deathbed with a gun in his hand. 
That click you just heard, that's the gun cylinder spinning in his hand. He's getting lost in West Knoxville where he lived his whole life. He's becoming... He's becoming useless. And a proud man doesn't want to be useless. A proud man doesn't want to be a burden. The most dramatic moment in the trial was with that bed. It's very difficult to hear all this very technical testimony about the evidence. When you actually bring in the bed and you really see someone act out like Josh Hedrick did, what he contends happened, it certainly does bring some clarity in the courtroom. But the idea that it was the actual bed, the idea that there were still blood stains on the sheets and the mattress, there was something kind of disturbing about it too. And maybe that's what you have to do. It's real. Somebody died there, and there is a lot at stake. We can't say that the facts exclude the theory that David Leith shot himself as I demonstrated for you. I'm going to come in under the wire by asking you to be as diligent as you have been since we started and to return a verdict of not guilty. Because the burden to prove guilt is on the prosecution, Stephen Crump gets the last word. So here we are, eight days later, thousands upon thousands of words, hundreds of exhibits, and here we are. I want you to assume that David Lee had Alzheimer's for everything I'm going to say to you right now. I want you to assume that he had Alzheimer's. I want you to assume that he was despondent about that. Because you will see it doesn't matter. But where all this falls apart for anything except homicide is where the blood spatter is found. You all recall, round blood spatter acts very specifically. It must be horizontal. It must be perpendicular to, and it must be facing. You cannot lay in this bed and face that direction and get that blood spatter on the wall. Crump is saying that the blood spatter from the gunshot wound in David's head must lie on a perpendicular surface to the path of the bullet. He believes that the defense's previous demonstration of the gunshots and their trajectories is invalid. Crump says the blood spatter on the wall indicates the fatal bullet came from a different direction. Blood doesn't turn corners. You heard her say that. The only way that this gets there is if David Leith is facing you on this bed and the gunshot enters where that void is in the bed. It's the only explanation. Ranella Leith is guilty of the first degree premeditated homicide of David Leith. The closing arguments are now complete. So all eyes turn to the jurors, assuming that within moments, the fate of Raynella Leith will be in their hands. 
The jurors have sat through more than a week of trial, dozens of hours of testimony, and nearly 150 pieces of evidence. And yet, there are still things about Raynella Leith they'll never hear. For example, they don't hear about the strange circumstances surrounding the death of her first husband, Ed Dossett, in 1992. Did anyone wonder about how Ed Dossett died? David's cousin, Beth Roberts, says. <laughs> yes. The reports were an agricultural accident. But some folks in the community had a problem with that scenario. Ed grew up on a farm. For him to have been trampled by his own cattle, that just didn't make sense. Dossett had also been terminally ill with cancer and heavily medicated, leaving folks to wonder how he managed to get out into the field on his own. However, true crime writer Diane Fanning mentioned a local theory that Ed may have orchestrated his death to look accidental so his family could receive a bigger insurance payout than if he died from cancer. Because if Ed knew he was about to die, but he wanted his family to be more secure financially, he might have said, take me out there. Let the cows tromp on me. However, in 2008, Dr. Dorinka Malutzenek, the same medical examiner who ruled David Lee's death as a homicide, also ruled Ed Dossett's death a homicide. She determined that Dossett died not by cattle, but by a morphine overdose. We'll never know for sure. Raynella was charged with murder for Dossett's death, but she never went to trial. The charges were dropped after jurors convicted her of murdering David Leith in 2010. She was six years into a life sentence when her conviction was thrown out, bringing us to the present third trial. Judge Summers, concerned that jurors would be negatively influenced, refused to allow any of that information at trial. The judge also refused to allow jurors to hear about the shooting of Steve Walker. But you're going to hear about it because he talked to us. First, just give me your name and what you do in town. Steve Walker, and I run an automotive shop. I'm a crouton on a real big salad here, and this is a big salad in this town. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Steve Walker owns an auto shop in Knoxville. Raynella's first husband, Ed Dossett, used to come into his store. Steve considered Ed a friend. And there was another connection. Steve Walker's wife was a secretary in Ed's office when Ed practiced law and served as a district attorney general in Knox County. 
What Steve Walker didn't know was that his wife's relationship with Ed Dossett was more than just professional. Steve says he found out in 1995, three years after Dossett's death, he says he discovered during divorce proceedings that the son he had raised from birth was actually Ed Dossett's biological child. Ed Dossett had had an affair with Steve's wife. It was a terrible shock. Get them out of this turmoil. This is a soap opera that I never wanted to be in. It came as a shock to Raynella as well. But when Steve Walker first talked to Raynella, he said he thought she was taking the news in stride. She shared this thing. She was hurt by Ed. You had been hurt by Ed. You guys had something in common here. You both had been hurt. I mean, did you we're get... on a mission to get the truth, you know. Both of you were. Yes. I mean, in some ways you felt that you were on her side. Uh, Ray Nellis, yes. Right. I thought we was on the same team. He could not have been more wrong. I'm going to take you back to May 26, 1995, because what happened shortly after Walker discovered the true paternity of his son drastically changed both Steve and Raynella's lives. And their versions of what happened are quite different. According to a police report filed by Raynella, she was home on her farm that morning. Remember, it was May 26, 1995, when she heard a disturbance out by her cows. She grabbed her gun, a 38, and went to investigate. She told police she found Steve, quote, acting psychotic, unquote, near Ed's grave on the property. This is from an interview done with Raynella years later with investigators. In case you can't quite hear what she's saying, Raynella told investigators that she found Steve Walker attempting to urinate on Ed Dossett's grave. Raynella told police she began firing warning shots into the ground to chase him away, but she says Steve took the gun and fled. That was Raynella's story, but Steve filed his own police report. And Steve's version is very different. He says he didn't go alone to her property. He says that Raynella showed up at his auto shop unannounced and asked him to jump in her car and come back to the farm. She told him she found some papers about the affair that Steve would want to see. Right. Yeah. And did she seem upset with you that day that she picked you up? Till I seen the gun, we was as friendly as me and you right now. When they got to Raynella's barn, Steve says, she suddenly pulled out a revolver and said, quote, I'll kill you, you son of a b-, unquote. And then told him she'd raise the child. What you saw, when you turn around. She had a, she had a towel around her hand and she comes up with it and, and starts shooting. Steve says she missed. And she didn't hit you? Oh, no, no, thank God. But I did start running. He did start running, but he says in his panic, he tripped and fell. Oh, I'm on the ground. I'm just laying there, and I'm, I'm defenseless at this point. And I talked to her, and I said, you know, uh, uh, what are we doing? I said, you know, if you kill me, I said, I can't raise my kids. You can't raise yours, because we had talked of children. 
she said, I used to be a better shot than that, but I can hit you from here. And she aimed that gun at me and uh, I just, uh, I just closed my eyes. I mean, I knew I was gone. At that moment, Raynella pulled the trigger, Steve says, but the gun was out of bullets. I mean, there's there no doubt in my mind. If she hadn't run out of bullets, I'd be dead. Which story did the police believe? After witnesses said they saw Raynella drive up and pick up Steve, Raynella was arrested and she was charged with attempted murder. Attempted murder. But she took a deal and was allowed to plead guilty to the lesser charge of assault. After six years, her record was cleared. So what does this say about what Raynella may be capable of? Josh Hedrick and Rebecca Legrand weren't her attorneys back then, but they are now. And they insist this incident means nothing. Because what her attorney told her then, and it's the same thing I would have told her, is this is a plea that will get expunged. There is no jail time. Take this deal and walk away. Raynella Leith did walk away. The charge was expunged from her record. And the jury at this trial heard nothing about the shooting. And I thank you for your time and attention. And Ms. Lee thanks you for your time and attention. 22 years later, will she walk away once more a free woman? I was really looking forward to deliberating. That's the voice of Michael Persicano, one of the jurors we spoke to after the trial. You're going to want to hear what the jurors said, because just as the trial was about to end, something happened that no one saw coming. If you can picture like a cartoon, you know, of someone's jaw hitting the floor. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and that's Married to Death, Part 5. Part 6, the amazing finale, is next. This podcast series, Married to Death, is developed by 48 Hours in partnership with CBS News Radio. Judy Tigart is executive producer. Nancy Kramer is our executive story editor. Mike Vallee and Alan Pang are the series producer editors. This episode was produced by Josh Gaynor, Lisa Freed, and Luis Geraldo, and edited by Mike McHugh, Dwayne Tullison, Jamie Benson, and Megan Marcus. Thanks to composer Richard Fioca for his original scores. Gabriella Demergian and Morgan Canty are our associate producers. Kayla Cadell is our production associate. Thank you to Craig Swagler, the vice president and general manager of CBS News Radio. And finally, a shout out to all of you, our fans. We owe it to all of you, the millions of fans of 48 Hours in the U.S. and around the world. Don't forget to join me online. I am at EF Moriarty on Twitter, and we are at 48 Hours on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. See you soon.
Don't miss true crime anytime you want, anywhere you go. With the 48 Hours Podcast. Real crimes. Like a John Grisham novel come to life. Real lives. He pointed a gun to me and said, this is the day you die. And he shot me. Real justice. There's some questions that have to be asked and need to be answered. I'm an innocent man, and I hope the whole world can see it now. Catch the latest episodes of 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.